Hey, I'm Chauncey Jenkins, and you're listening to the Monarchist Basketball Show. I'm Aaron. And I'm Mike. And you're listening to the Monarchist Basketball Show. Monday kicked off the start of college basketball season, so we figured why wait any longer to talk ODU hoops, and who better to talk with than the head man himself, Coach Jeff Jones. Welcome back to the show, Coach. Thanks, guys. Exciting time of the year. Thank you again for joining us. So excited to start year two of the Monarchist Basketball Show. You guys just concluded summer workouts and started season practices yesterday. What areas are you most focused on improving over the next month or so? Gosh, what areas aren't we focused on? You know, I I think, you know, a, a lot of it is, you know, offensively. And, you know, I started to say our half court offense, and we're really thinking more and have made some changes with the way we practice and playing offense at the full court level. So whereas in, in the past, maybe, you know, we might have repetitions and, you know, you're running your offense at the half court level so far this year. And obviously we've only had, you know, two official practices, but then you know, we've had been working out since, since the summer, you're allowed four hours per week on the court with things. And we've been doing a lot of, of that kind of stuff, but you know, not getting into the habit of just playing at the half court level, but trying to, you know, flow into what we call our spread offense, which basically is playing four four guards on the perimeter with the one one player, you know, a big player playing inside, and you know, just spreading the floor and giving guys opportunities to attack. We are spending a lot of time trying to acclimate our guys with this kind of new approach. You know, it's more freedom, but it's also an understanding of spacing and timing, which takes time. You, know, you can, you know, dictate with set plays, you know, and you can tell people to, this is what you're going to do in this situation, you know, and on. Um, but the way we're trying to play, there, there's fewer rules and, and more kind of reads and playing with more of a flow. That takes a, a lot of time. You know, oftentimes in practice, what we've seen already is, you know, we'll have three or four really nice possessions and then all of a sudden, you know, we just, the fourth possession is, it's like, okay, why did we do that? Why didn't we do the same stuff we were doing before? And getting everybody on the same page at all times without telling them, you know, exactly what they've got to do uh, is is a little bit different. It's different for me. And, but I, I think ultimately when you look at the big picture, it'll be best for our team. The other thing is kind of getting our defense up to snuff, understanding how we play certain defensive situations at, at Old Dominion. There's lots of there's lots of different ways to, as I told the guys, skin a cat. And as an aside, who came up with that saying, by the way? You know, skinning a cat. I mean, you know, there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat. That That's not a very nice thing. But, you know, there's lots of different ways to be successful. That's a, a better way of, of saying it. But, you know, we, we have, you know, chosen, I have chosen, you know, that, that we play defense a particular way. We've got you know, our defensive principles and, you know, guys coming from different programs, you know, Oregon, uh, Dayton, junior college programs, high school programs coming in, you know, they may have been taught to, to do things a, a little bit differently. So getting everybody on the same page from a defensive uh, perspective is, is also, I, I think, a really big concern and, and focus for us. But, you know, we'll, we'll get there. It's just, I think this year, the, the, the two factors of you know, we're, we're making changes in how we play offensively 
and having eight new faces. That means there's a, you know a lot more teaching, uh, a lot more discussion, film work, walking through things, and again trying to get all five guys on the court. You know, trying to get everybody on the same page. Well, coach, it's interesting that you mentioned skinny cats because I have two. Uh, both were adopted when I was away on business, and I love you know figure out a way to skin a cat from time to time. I have no idea where that came from, but now I think I'm going to Google it after we get done. All right. So college basketball is starting about two weeks earlier than normal this year. Probably one of the better changes by the NCAA, um, in my opinion, in recent memory. The changes allow you and your staff 42 days to get in 30 practices before the first game. Does this change your approach to getting ready for the first game on November 6th? And if so, how? Actually, this, the way it, the 42 days and 30 practices has been, you know, it's been this way for several years. This is not the first year that we've, you know, we've done this. You know, going back, October 15th always used to be the date. And then you, you basically you started October 15th and you had 30 days and the season started. This way you've got 30 days of practice, but you can sprinkle in some days off. It used to be a real grind when you only had 30 days and you know, and you had to try to cram everything in and coaches, you know, they didn't do a good job of, you know, allowing the players, some, you know, some time off, some days off. This way we can spread it out a little bit and not, you know, not overwork them, but, you know, giving, uh, giving them not just the one day that's mandated, but, you know, being able to give them additional days off as, as well, you know, so they're not just worn out, you know, by the time the, the first game rolls around. I do think it was a smart move by the NCAA when they did that. And again, it was several years ago. I'm not sure exactly when it was. Last month, we talked about the roster at length. Uh, has there been any changes to how you see the rotation or use of players since that time? Not a lot. I mean, I do think, you know, we were able over the summer to get a good grasp of kind of the depth and the potential options that we have. You know, in the backcourt, you know, somebody's going to get left out. I don't know. Uh, exactly who it is, but you know, you were even playing four guys, at, you know, four perimeter players at all times. You know, I, I don't know if we're going to be able to get everybody regular action, but you know, I, I think the big question is, you know, who's going to be playing at the five spot? You know, Tariqa Williams obviously is the most experienced, and he's the guy that you know he's done a good job, particularly at the defensive end. He knows what we want, and you know, is pretty effective. You know, showing on ball screens and being a a great team defender, you know, Sam Hood uh, still hasn't been able to get out there. You know, he's still kind of recovering from his uh, knee surgery. And, uh, you know, so right now, uh, I think it, he's playing catch up uh, a, a little bit right now. Daniel Pounds is a young man that got a lot to learn, but he's got some real physical gifts. And he's just, you know, he's so, you know, so much energy, you know, out there on the court. So, you know, I know that he'll somewhere uh, somehow be in on the the rotation. And then Leroy Odiahi is, you know, a guy that will be able to contribute some minutes. He's not, he's not really much of a factor offensively. His big, you know, contributions will come at the defensive end as a shot blocker, rebounder type. Offensively, you know, setting ball screens and rolling to the basket. But, you know, he's actually been out for a couple of days. He's got been diagnosed with strep throat. So it's not good. You know, when you've got a guy like that's got a lot to learn, he's new to the program, you know, any time missed is, is difficult. But hopefully we can get him back out onto the practice floor here soon. 
So you mentioned Danny and Vishon Alette. There have been rave reports about both and their abilities. How much time do you think Monarch fans can expect to see either of them play uh, at this juncture? Gosh, you know, with Danny, again, kind of harnessing that that aggressiveness, that uh, athleticism in playing within the confines, and I'm speaking more defensively than offensively, the confines of what we're trying to accomplish. You know, I think a, a, a whole lot of how much he plays depends on how quickly he's able to retain information. If he can, you know, make the, the, the right play, be in the right spot with his athleticism, you know, I could see him playing a substantial amount. And when I say substantial, you know, I'm figuring Dorico's going to play at least 20 minutes a game. That's what he played last year. I don't see that going down in, in any way, shape, or form. So for those other guys, you know, I think they're looking at, you know, how is that, that other 20 minutes or so divided up? You know, again, Sam is, is kind of playing catch up. And, you know, Danny, as we're talking about, he's got a chance to make, you know, big contribution off the bench. But we'll just have to see how he, as I said, retains that information. You know, learning it and retaining, that's that, that's really big, particularly for freshmen. All right, Coach. So you hear the debate all the time in the NFL when it comes to personnel and drafting players. Do we draft the best available or do we draft based upon need? So based upon what we've talked about recently, the direction that you and your staff has decided to go with this year being a four guard four guards on the court it appears that you guys have moved from recruiting need to best available what makes you so excited about that change for this season and moving forward in future seasons that you know that's an interesting uh, perspective how you broke that down and you know with Ben Stanley you know graduating and Mackay having transferred you know we did know and we started out in the transfer portal in the spring really trying to recruit out of the portal and bring in a foreman that could, you know, basically step in and preferably be a starter for us. We, we went after a couple guys really strongly and missed. And, you know, not coincidentally that those guys we went after went to Power 5 programs and were able to uh, secure uh, the, the NIL commitments and whatever. And so rather than go from... I guess our A list to a B list of somebody that we weren't, you know, thrilled about. We decided let's just go ahead and re- recruit, you know, another or a couple more perimeter guys that we're really excited about that we had an opportunity. There was a connection, had an opportunity to be involved with, and maybe we won't have a traditional format. And so that's kind of the result there. I'm excited. It's a challenge for me and the staff to put together something that'll look a little bit different than than what we've had. You know, since being certainly at, at, at Old Dominion, you know, we've had Denzel uh, Taylor, who was a four-year starter, you know, an elite rebounder and defender. We had Brandon Stith. He played the center, but when Trey Porter had developed, you know, we were able to play Brandon and Trey together, Brandon defending the four. Gosh, who am I forgetting? Aaron Carver. Uh, again, not much of a score, but he, he became a very good rebounder and rebounder and defender. You know, for a year, really, Kalu was a four-man paired alongside of Austin Trice, and then last year with both Makai and Ben. So, you know, we've always had that traditional four-man. Uh, it, it's it's a, a big, uh, you know, a big adjustment for us. Um, but it's as I said, it's exciting for me, ex- exciting for the staff. You know, to challenge to you know find a way. How can we, you know, uh, meld together? 
these perimeter guys that are talented, but you know, aren't like anything like those four men that we've had in the past. Well, that changes things for you a lot. I mean, both on the offensive end and the defensive end, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one, one thing, you know, in, in last year, so from year to year, you know, you're, you know, you, sometimes you might even run the same plays or similar versions of them, but you might be looking for different things. We really did not have much of an inside focus last year other than trying to isolate Ben early in the, in, in the season on the low block. The year before, everything pretty much that we did, we, we pounded the ball inside to Kalu and Trice and ran what you know I consider a, a lot of good stuff to get them the, the ball down there where they were really effective. Um, this year, uh, because of uh, the, you know, the way our team is put together, you know, we're not going to be pounding that ball inside you know, really at, at all. And if we do, you know, you might see us trying to do something to bring Chauncey uh, Jenkins to the post, bring Ty Williams to, to the post, possibly even Vashon Alette to the post and trying to, you know, isolate smaller players. You know, those guys obviously are, are, are long and, and very good athletes. If we can get a, a favorable matchup, you know, we might not be able to post up our bigs, but we might be able to get one of those guards down there. We did some of that years ago with Trey Freeman. Trey loved playing down in the post and had a very good turn over the right shoulder to, to the baseline, turnaround jump shot. And, you know, that was effective for us for, you know, kind of trying to create low post offense, you know, a, a little bit of untraditional low post offense. So, you know, we'll look at those kind of things and see what we can do. But, you know, our points in the paint this year are going to, you know, be much more off of the dribble, you know, and attacking into the lane than it is, you know, a post-up opportunity. Coach, before you made this change, I, we know you have a lot of great relationships inside the coaching industry. Did you advise with any of your uh, fellow coaches about this change before you decided to go this route? No, <laughs> yeah, but you can, you know, you, you can look all over. I mean, in, in the NBA, I mean, you know, small ball is in. At the collegiate level, small ball is in. Villanova has been doing it extremely successfully for a number of years, uh, you know, even before Jay Wright retired. Uh, uh, you know, Marquette has done a little bit of it. it. I mean, it's all over the place. And small ball, it might be four guards. It might be, you know, just, you know, four really uh, skilled, you know, small ball in the NBA might mean that you've got, you know, t- you know, the three, three, six, eight guys in a, in a six, five, you know, that might be small ball, but it's more about uh, not the height necessarily, but uh, the the skill set, you know, having guys that can pass, dribble, and shoot out there on the floor, and you know, guys that can be uh, a fact effective playmakers uh, at, at four different spots, uh, as opposed to you know a more traditional lineup with a you know a low post five man and then you know a four man that's kind of you know not just a face up four, but they you know they have a skill set where they can not only stretch with by shooting the three, but they they can put the ball on the floor a little bit. And one other thing we talked about in the summer was rebounding and three-point shooting. How are we progressing in those areas? You know, because we're competing against ourselves, you know, uh, rebounding, it's, it's, it's still a concern, but I, I don't know how good or how bad, you know, we really are. I mean, that's going to be something that, you know, we're going to continually have to address and watch, you know, be very vigilant, quite honestly, about making sure that we re- we rebound as a team and don't leave it to one or two guys. You know, we will not have Makai to go, you know, get those rebounds. You know, he just went after the ball. I mean, he was an absolute beast. 
we don't have anybody like that. So we've got to do it with the volume of guys, you know, getting after the ball, getting there quickly, because not only are we not very tall, we're not the the heaviest team. You know, we don't have, you know, guys like Chauncey and, you know, and, and, and Chauncey and Bryce and Ty, RJ, you know, they're all, I, I think, reasonably strong, but, you know, they don't carry a, a, a ton of weight. And, and so getting inside and pushing and shoving isn't going to be our game. You know, we're going to have to you know, come from the perimeter and, and really attack the ball and be quick to the basketball. All right, coach. Hopefully I'm not wrong in this one like I was on the rule changes before, but I was trying to read up on it because I know every year, you know, there's a couple rule changes or a couple things that the NCAA is testing out. The three that I saw, and please stop me if I get this wrong, is one of them had changed the legal guarding position. Two is preloaded video to the bench area. And three is an update on goaltending and how that is. If I'm correct there, can you talk to us about your thoughts on any of those if you know if they've made any impact on how you guys are approaching coaching the team? Yeah, no, not really. The goaltending one is one, you know, we've kind of got to acclimate our, ourselves with a, a little bit better. I'm not even clear exactly what that one is. Um, uh, but um, the the guarding position, we're we're not going to change anything that that we really do. It's not that much different. You know, if, if you're going to take a charge, you know, can't fake it. You got to be there. You got to be there early. You got to be there before the player, uh, you know, starts his up, upward motion, you know, feet firmly planted. You got to be in front. You got to be outside of the arc. That's all pretty consistent. Um, and that's not the primary defender. That's the secondary defender that, that has to be there. So, uh, you know, somebody rotating over and, and it help. But the, the way we, we teach it, the way we've done in the past, it will be consistent with the rule there but the the bench the live statistics and video uh, on the bench we're not you know that's too much information for me you know i mean I'm, we're processing you got stats being handed to you you know every every time out every dead ball and you know the the assistants different guys are keeping different statistics and we have chosen to not utilize that on the bench that's just kind of i, I don't know how many people are in our you know the the kind of approach it the same way we do. But, you know, I, I do sometimes think that there can be, you know, information overload. And, you know, the, the way the game goes, you know, I think we've we got enough stats, you know, as the game's going going on. I don't need, I don't think we, we need to, you know, make any major changes. And we don't watch film at halftime, you know, we'll, with the team. We'll mark up on the board and we'll talk about adjustments that we might make maybe with our defense if there's a certain action that, that's hurt us. But, you know, we won't do it with film. Um, and, and, you know, the, the game may be going that way and maybe eventually, you know, we'll need to adjust. But at this point, that's not something that, you know, that we plan to do. So every year, every sport, when you're watching games, you hear the announcer say, oh, this is a point of emphasis this year for this league or this conference. At the Sunbelt meetings preseason, do they tell you what? rules they're going to be kind of focusing on and making a point of well, emphasis? So the national, the NCAA, you know, officiating czar and, you know, so he's in charge. All conferences are supposed to have the same points of emphasis. It's probably as homogenous as, as it's ever been. And, you know, everybody's supposed to follow the lead in terms of what the rule changes are, what the points of emphasis are. And then there are uh, weekly updates where though they will send out uh, reminders they will send out video examples to coaches and officials uh, outlining 
you know, what the officials are doing well, what the officials, you know, aren't doing well, or are they calling it wrong? Are they ignoring it? And so, you know, there there is very much a an effort effort to make things more consistent, but the you know, there's not anything special for the Sun Belt necessarily. It's nationwide. It always seems it always seems like traveling. Right. You know, what's traveling? We're going to make that a point of emphasis. Low post physicality, you know, physicality in the paint. You know, those seem to be. And then, you know, the block charge is always and will always be, you know, a point of contention. But those things seemingly, you know, year after year are, you know, the points of emphasis. And rightly so. I mean, those are probably the hardest calls to make. You know, block charge and the physicality is like... They're bang plays. It's hard to tell who's initiating what, and you know whether it's whether it's in the college game, the high school game, or the, the NBA game. You know that those are always points of you know points of contention. Now, coach, you you made a comment a couple minutes ago about drawing on the whiteboard, making adjustments at the half. And in football, we always hear about you know can the coaches into halftime coming out. What adjustments can they make because they got their butts whooped in the first half? Is basketball a little bit different for you? That Are you able to make those adjustments more on the fly during timeouts and sort? Or are the big ones made at the half? I don't know if they're big ones, but, you know, sometimes it's difficult, you know, to make certain changes, big changes during the flow of the game. When you get to half, you know, there there have been, you know, times where you're, you're just trying to hold on. You're just trying to get to halftime to be able to make the change and, you know, you know, find some answers. You you might know what you want to do, but it's hard in a in a in a timeout, you know, to to get something like that done. Halftime provides you with that opportunity to, you know, to make a substantial change if needed. Uh, most of the time I think they're they're minor adjustments we might talk about you know, offensively. We they're they're guarding, you know, this situation in, in this way. So we've got to make the read and we've got to, you know, not force the ball to the guy on the pick and roll or whatever it may be. And, you know, there's always some diagramming up on the board. But sometimes at halftime, if there's some major changes, if you're really struggling with something, you know, you're, you you know, you're just limping. You're trying to get it to halftime so that you can, as a coach, you know, change some things up. You know, one such time that I can remember, Javon Jackson from down at UT San Antonio was having a field day with us. I think he scored 30 points, right? 29 points or something in the first half. And, you know, it, it, it was ridiculous and we couldn't get out. And, you know, our guys were hanging their heads and, you know, they were discouraged and, and we just, you know, like the halftime couldn't come quick enough. And we made, they were, I mean, it's not rocket science, but we guarded things. We said we're going to guard things a certain way that we hadn't really ever practiced. Right. It was contrary to what our defensive principles were, but we couldn't allow him to keep getting off. And, and we did a much, much better job in the second half uh, of our bigs helping. We, we trapped some ball screens and did some things and we were able to, to come back and to fight back and, and, and to actually win that basketball game um, playing, you know, a, a style or playing defensively. Uh, in ways that you know, we'd, we'd never practiced. But we had to get to halftime to be able to talk to our guys and show them on, on the board you know, exactly what we're talking about. And when you've got a smart player like Denzel Taylor, or in, in this case it was Aaron Carver, Aaron had a great second half. I don't know if he scored a point, but you know, he, he played a great role defensively. And, and I can't say we shut down Javon Jackson, but 
we certainly slowed him down. He didn't get nearly as many points in, in the uh, second half. He didn't get nearly as many field goal attempts in the second half as he did in the first half. So, you know, there are opportunities where you can make those, but that's not, you know, that that's not something that happens every game. All right. So last year we talked about how Drew has helped make analytics a bigger part of the planning and evaluation of the team. Have you adopted more uses of the data since last season? And if so, could you give us some examples of how it's used on a day-to-day basis or when game planning? You know, I think a day-to-day basis in specific games, you know, pro- probably not. I, I think we do, we just incorporate it more in season planning, right? Uh, uh, whereas, you know, we can't allow ourselves to be sucked into shooting a lot of unguarded, excuse me, not unguarded, guarded two-point shots. You know, that's a big point of emphasis for, for us from an offensive standpoint. Now, there are there are certain guys, you know, Chauncey shoots, you know, a lot of mid-range shots, and he has that ability. Trey Freeman was a guy that did it. He was really, really good at it. Chauncey's really, really good at it. If you shoot a really high percentage from the two-point line, for, from inside the three-point line, you know, that that's not a bad shot, but you can't shoot, you know, 40% from, in you know, in the two and expect it to be as effective as, you know, shooting threes. So we try to talk about our shot selection. You know, if you can't get to the rim and you're not clear, you know, for Emo, for instance, Emo shooting, a, you know, a heavily defended two-point shot, you know, that, you know free, throw, free throw line jumper, that's not a good shot for us. And so he's got to be able to turn those down. Now, the situation, you know, is, is a shot clock running out. Is You know, there, there, there may be situations that, uh, kind of supersede everything, but you know, shot selection is, is certainly a way uh, defensively with the three-point line. Again, making sure that we really do a good job defending the three, trying as best we can to to limit our opponents' threes. Certainly, limit our opponents, you know, open threes, and, and make sure that they're heavily contested. We want to contest at the rim. If a team gets a you know get, gets an open shot against us. The ideal thing, if they're going to get one, it's in that mid-range. But obviously, we want to, you know, we want to contest everything. I've always said, you know, for me, a, a perfect defensive game means not that the, the offense never scores, but it means that we contest every attempt. That would be for me the way we, you know, grade the film and all that. That's a perfect defensive game. If you know, there's a hand in the face, and you know, the the offense is going to make some, but. It's, it's very hard. If you contest everything, there's no easy baskets. It's very hard for a team to have a good game scoring the basketball. All right, Coach. Before Mike takes us home, uh, I'm going to ask you a couple more questions. Every episode where we have the players on, we always ask them some fun questions at the end. And I'm going to ask you two of the questions that we ask them. One of them is, All one right. of them always revolves around food. So I would say recently... What's your favorite restaurant right now in the 757? In the 757, not in Norfolk, in the oh, 757. Give us both. Ah, uh, gosh. I, you know, I think, and my wife would agree with me, I think Coastal Grill in, in the area is our favorite restaurant. Never had a bad meal there, never. And gosh, in Norfolk, 
you know, it's funny since, and it's not like I miss many meals. I mean, I, it's not hard to tell that, but, but since COVID, you know, and you get into the, you know, the, the routine of not going out, you know, we still don't go out as, as much as what we used to, but, you know, I'm going to say downstairs at Bird and Baldwin. That's a good choice. I haven't been there in a while, but that's always, you always get a great meal there. Well, yeah, it's always good. Yeah. But downstairs, because you don't have to wear like, you know, a coat and tie or whatever downstairs, it's a little bit more, more casual. All right. This one's going to take a little thought. There's no right or wrong answer, but it's all about the why. And we've gotten some really interesting and funny answers. What do you believe the most dangerous animal in the world is and why? It, it really, it really doesn't take a whole lot of thought. I think I'm 100% right. And it, it's us. It's human beings. You know, I don't think there's many animals on the planet. You know, they eat for sustenance. They eat to protect. We're the ones that, not have, it sounds like I'm getting real philosophical here, but we're the ones that are dangerous. You know, we, you know, we, unfortunately, we've got some evil in us. And, you know, I, I wish that weren't the case. It's scary out there. And, you know, I think my answer is a little bit maybe influenced. There was a young man that a couple of, of us know, the son of a, a coaching colleague was killed just three nights ago. He was innocent by Sander, excuse me. And he was shot and killed. He's married, has three kids. And so anyway, I know you didn't mean to, to turn the podcast into a, a real serious thing here. But yeah, I would have to say us as a human race. Coach, I'm sorry to hear about your loss. Uh, we'll be praying for your friends and family. Uh, I will add that the statistics probably back you up there. I know mosquitoes are up there as well, which people don't really think about because of the disease they carry. But yeah, hard to argue with your answer. So, Coach, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. We can't wait to get this season going. Check this team out. Uh, it's been great getting to talk with you, and go Monarchs. Go Monarchs. All right, guys, thanks, and I think I want to see you Friday at practice. We'll see you there. Absolutely. All right.